episode 202 of the Downward Facing Spiritual Spiral Podcast. Thrilled you're here today. I'm Eddie Cohn, host, creator of the show. And I'm thrilled to welcome singer-songwriter, entrepreneur, coach, Julie Moon to the show. I think it's a fantastic conversation this week. And something that I've been thinking a lot about, obviously, for a long time, and I want, I want to ask you a question today. Do you think we value artists too much? Or do we not value them enough? It's, it's interesting the way we culturally lionize actors and actresses and, and musicians. And I understand it. I, I idolize Eddie Vedder and Bono and you too. I mean, they've been huge heroes of mine. But then I also find it interesting that we as a culture, I feel like, want art for free. We have a hard time paying for art. We pick, we pick and choose what we think, individually, we think we're willing to pay for. You know, what are we willing to pay for? Or do we just expect art to be free? It's, I, I guess after speaking to Jilly, also, it's, it's probably been a centuries-long conversation that we all have with ourselves. And I do think social media has really created a world where the artists now are left doing their own marketing and PR. And then you have streaming services with these monthly fees where I think people collectively almost like this idea of a gargantuan amount of content, like for $12, $13, $14, you can get millions of hours of shows on Netflix. But how much of it is actually any good? 10 bucks a month, you can get millions of songs from Spotify. Doesn't matter that Spotify compresses the music so it doesn't sound as good as a CD. Doesn't matter to any of you that artists make about 0. 0.00 two or three of a cent per stream. And is it important to think about that kind of stuff? I, and I personally think it is important to think about it. And I think it's important to live in a world where, where artists are rewarded financially for their work. But I, I guess this even goes to, before you listen to the talk, even yoga teachers, I think YouTube, you know, anybody can go onto YouTube and watch a yoga class, take a yoga class. So all of those yoga classes that are free on YouTube what does that mean or what is that doing to sort of the in-person studios? Are people willing to go to a yoga class anymore and spend 15 or $20? So it's strange. It's like the internet gives us so much. But then I also think it sort of manipulates our brain to make us feel like, hmm, maybe we don't need to pay for that anymore. And I think that's where it sort of creates this this fine line of, of give and take of what we're willing to pay for and what we think should be free. And I feel as it, you know, Jilly's an independent uh, singer songwriter. I didn't realize this, but she has put out eight albums. Um, she's published three books. She's built the world's largest nonprofit social media platform for over 50,000 songwriters. She's originally from Australia. Uh, but she's been in Hollywood, California now for, I think, at least 20 years. Uh, she's a producer, also a motivational speaker. 
And she put out a record, a two-volume set, um, two CDs, about a year ago called Beautiful Mess. And I'll be playing a few songs throughout the podcast from those records. And you, again, you can find Jilly on Instagram at Jilly Moon. The website's jillymoon.com. And I felt it was an important time to, to speak to her about some of these issues and some of these areas that I'm intrigued in and I struggle with. So, um, yeah, I think it's a great talk. So thanks, Julie, for taking the time to speak to me. You know where to find me at Eddie Cohn or the Spiritual Spiral Podcast on Instagram. Uh, website is iameddiecohn.com. Please also, after listening to the show, if you enjoy it, share it with your friends. Head over to iTunes and write a review. That is incredibly helpful. You know, I have a new book coming out in a few months. If you're interested in getting an advanced copy, message me on Instagram and I'll give you the details. Um, but that is it. Really thrilled that you take the time to listen to the show. I know there's about 99 million podcasts in the world. So I appreciate it that you take the time to listen to this one. Jilly, again, thanks for taking the time. And thanks to you for listening supporting, and being a part of the Downward Facing Spiritual Spiral podcast. How you doing? Long time to speak. I know, it has been. (laughs) Maybe like 15, 20 years, maybe. Long time. Gosh, could it be that long? Time goes so fast. Um, I don't know. It could be way back then. Um, I mean, it doesn't matter. It feels like you know I could have talked to you a couple weeks ago. It's fine. <laughs> well, I've been I've been with my husband for like twelve years, okay. and I was definitely single back then. <laughs> um, I've got kids that are eight, so wow. Yeah. Where, where are you? Are you back in LA? Yeah, I live in LA. I've been living in LA the whole time. Well, I, I think you went away like on a vacation or a, vol- a vacance or something. Oh yeah, yeah. I just came back from Australia. You're right. Okay. You're right. Yeah. I hadn't been to Australia in three years. Yeah. Due to the pandemic. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that crazy? So you're back. I am. I'm back and yeah. uh, getting back into it. You're in LA too, right? I am. Yeah, I've been here the whole time. Still. Still managing my my world out here, and um, I still still really really like it out here a lot. I still feel very comfortable here. Mm. Yeah, I mean, and in in, I mean that in a in a good, healthy way. You know, I, I where are you originally from? From Ohio. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 I mean, I get it. I you know, I mean, I like it here too, and um, I bought a house. Uh, in, we're in Sherman, Sherman Oaks still, but we have a house and a pool and a, a lifestyle. The kids, you know, they do sports and I'm a soccer mom. And <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, obviously LA has always been a mecca for creatives, you know, yeah. which is totally my soul. And going back home this time around, I really felt like, wow, I do miss home too. I do miss Australia. Like, it's, it's it's weird. I'm kind of in this like whoa. I've been I have been here twenty three years. Wow. Yeah. Okay. I've been I've been here. Yeah. Little just like twenty five, twenty six years. So it's about the same. Yeah. yeah. It's it's funny. 
Um, your t- I'm always struck by the timing of, of people that I have on my show because <laughs> I was just listening to Mark Marin speaking to uh, Peter Dinklage. I think I'm pronouncing his name right, but he's an actor. He was in Game of Thrones. Oh, okay. um, but they start talking about this equation where... Um, as an artist, as an actor, and the, but but this could apply to musicians or anything. You know, it's it's hard work plus talent equals luck. And I really resonated with that because I think. And then they also started talking about this word ambition, and it's sort of like. At what point does it switch from? You know, I I remember playing the piano when I was three. Um, but then I think when I heard Kurt Cobain and Nirvana for the first time, then I started thinking about, huh, maybe I'll start writing songs. And then you start writing songs and then people were saying, oh, you know, Eddie, you have a, you have a good voice. And it's weird. It's like, when does it shift from you're just doing it because you love it, but then suddenly other people's sort of perspective on what you're doing then sort of like gets in and could potentially pollute the sort of um, just sort of purity of the craft. Do you know what I'm saying? You know, hard work, it's funny because like hard work and the divine and how the process of the business around creativity also I think can can dilute like that pure creative creative talent like I don't know I think it to me it's always a combination though you can't just be talented without everything else to make it a balanced like success story yeah well when you look back were you playing at first just because you know you love to play or or did you have this did you see somebody on television like that's it I want to be that or you know because that's not how it was for me it sort of very slowly organically evolved where I just started going further and further down the rabbit hole and uh, my joy of music always remained but there is this sort of strange I don't even know if it's an equation but I you you put I, I write songs and I just put a record out, but I certainly want people to hear it. You know, it's it's yeah. so it's it's strange. I I don't know. Like the, I'm constantly dealing with that balance of um, how much do I want to put my work out there, but I'm not doing it just because I I'm not only doing it because I just love to create songs. Well, I think that's a really great like. Like, I guess that's the, the point, right, is we need to ask ourselves, why are we doing it? Yeah. For me, I've always been, like, creative. Like, I was that girl who was always singing and dancing and acting and pulling the team together, the neighbours together to put on a show. And I've been playing piano since I was really young and, like, four. And I always sing. I've always been that. So... It hasn't been about, like, me wanting to be, like, in the music business or anything. Right. It was always me just being creative, right, and my parents nurturing that, right, and going, oh, Jilly wants to do that. Jilly. You know, I see it in my own daughter, Natalie. She's eight. And apart from the fact that she's a real great gymnast, she's there in front of the mirror singing along to the Disney songs and she's – 
dancing and like that's just who she is. My my son Jackson is not that. He's a sporty dude who wants to you know play basketball all day long and and soccer and baseball. So innately we had this innate desire of who we want to be, right? Yeah. But at some point, I think we have to ask ourselves why are we doing it? Because we can either be because we all have to grow up as a grown-up and make sure we're not, like, living in our parents' basement forever. We do right. be responsible for our lives. So we can't just, like, play with art all day long. We have to kind of make a decision of how we're going to spend our time to be independent as grown-ups. And so I made a decision to pursue it as a career. Yeah. Like, it could have been a hobby, as it is for many people, right? Yeah. And that's not, that's, that's not bad. That's okay. But if you pursue it as a career, which means you want to monetize it, you want to be independent and just only do art and music because that's what you love to do, but also survive, (laughs) you have to be a business person. You have to be prepared to understand what business it is, which it is a business. Yeah, It's not just playing with your guitar. It's, it's a business of music. Well, this is the thing that I, you know, in connection with that, um, I think it's really hard, I believe, for society to place a monetary value on art. And, I don't, and I don't know if that is something that's always been that way or... Now that, you know, for $9.99, you know, you could get millions of songs. And for $12.99, you can get millions of TV shows on Netflix. So, you know, I just finished a book and I just blast. Yeah. And it comes out in a few months. It's my first book. And so I just sent an email out to people uh, asking for, you know, $20 um, mm-hmm. plus, you know, $4 for shipping, which to me is very fair. But then now... A couple people be like, well, what's it going to be on Amazon? Or, you know, Amazon's going to charge maybe 11 or $12, and they're only going to get, like, and so if, if I sell a book through Amazon, you know, uh, I'm only going to get, like, two or three bucks, whereas if I sell it myself, you know, I'm going to get a much bigger percentage. And and so, you know, it's like, do people even care about that? Or, you know, do people even think about, you know, the value of art anymore and, and how that and, and I believe that's something that is important for people to think about. And I'm not trying, I can't force people to think about art a particular way, but I do think there's sort of been this evaporation of, of how we value art. And I don't know where it began. Well, I, I certainly reflect on that a lot. <laughs> mm, yeah, yeah. And I would say that it's been, um, uh, I'd say that it's been, like that for centuries. Hmm. So, you know, if you think about like the Michelangelo era of art in the Renaissance, let's go back even further. Okay. I'll I'll say art for a minute because it's something that's tangible, Uh, but even music. So, you know, even back to indigenous original times of humanity, we have done, we have created art and music just as part of culture. Now, it's just who we are as human beings. Yeah. Like dancing, art, music, it's not necessarily always been a business. It's, just, it's part of who we are. And we continue to be that way. That's part of who we are as creative beings, creative souls. 
But if you think like the Renaissance, like there were patrons of the arts who would pay for it. So Michelangelo was paid by the Vatican hmm. to paint Sistine Chapel. And his patrons were usually uh, very wealthy, um, very wealthy families or the church. And that's how he survived. Right? He didn't like flock his wares on the on on the internet. Right, <laughs> no right. internet. Right? You needed patrons like that for that. And I'd say that the system of the music business is similar. Record labels have been the patrons of artists. Uh, whether the model is good or not is a whole different ball of wax. But right. they're the ones that would pay the artists to create the music. So you know, and there's a model around that. Um, art galleries. Of the patrons of artists Van Gogh, however, died as died penniless. Like yeah. the majority of artists in general who've actually been wealthy from their art is slim. I would say it's less than one percent. Yeah, absolutely, it is. It is absolutely less than one percent. When we talk about the value of music, well, <clears throat> customers go along with what's been told to them. Like. If you go into a store and you want to buy a bottle of milk, nearly five dollars now, right? Yeah, Back yeah. in the day, a dollar, and we just put it down to inflation. Right. Um, the cost of living is different in different countries, and and people buy things and they make decisions about their purchasing based on how much they have and how much they need. So then, the value of music then comes down to, well, do we really need it? Right. Mm, like. Yeah. Now there are things that have happened. Recently, I would say in the last 20 years, that have certainly got me hot under the collar about the value of music, which makes me question my own purpose as a, as a, a career artist. As I said, I chose to go into the music business to monetize, to, for it to be a career, to be a grown-up and take care of myself and survive. And so when I feel like, it's not valued what I do, and I have to, I have to justify and almost beg uh, customers to realize the value of my music. I, I almost have to question, well, why am I doing it? Am I doing it for them, uh, or am I just, or should I just keep doing it because I love it? Which my dad would always say to me, just do it because you love it, Jilly. Don't, you know. And I'm like, no, I think I can survive off it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean. Like what you know, what we 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 kind of were chatting about offline, but like the whole point of value of music. I used to sell my CDs for thirty dollars a piece. Thirty dollars a CD. That's Australia, right? Yeah. They, they were thirty in the store. They were thirty dollars. All through Europe, thirty, thirty, thirty thousand lira, thirty euros, whatever. Thirty was the number. Twenty, okay, was America. You could buy a CD for twenty bucks, right? And then, then it went down to ten bucks. Remember that? Mm-hmm. And then, with the internet, uh, really, with music going online, you had this thing with Napster, and they started stealing music and giving it away as a peer-to-peer sharing model, which completely disrupted the value of music. People started to think that music was free. Oh, I can just get it on Napster. Yeah. And so all of a sudden, uh, that 
to me, triggered the demise of the CD. Um, and then iTunes came about to monetize digital music. Right. Which became an MP3 download, which, which then was a dollar, an MP3 download. And to your point, Eddie, as artists, we could still sell them ourselves. As much as CDs were much easier and albums before that to sell, like I, I would sell my CDs, all my gigs across my tours, like out of the back of a truck. Like any time someone saw me perform, they would buy a bunch of CDs. I was living off my CD sales. Right. Right? And then now I'm going, well, how am I going to sell online if no one's really going to buy the CD? And for a little while, like this Bandcamp and other sites like that, I was able to do so. Downloading music was at least something. I was going through a digital distributor. I was still getting a percentage of royalties, right? And then the... Um, uh, Spotify came along and changed the model again. They followed the Napster model and said, we're going to do streaming. And so every play, like a radio play, every time you play, you get, we'll, we'll, we'll pay a certain amount. And so now I go from $30 to .008 cents a stream, not even. Yeah. And I'm looking at myself going, where is the value of music? And, and, of course, the middle, these patrons of ours that have now changed um, you know, a wolf in sheep, sheep's clothing used to be back in the Renaissance, these, these lords and church, then it was record labels, and now it's the streaming services are taking the lion's share. Yeah. And the artist at the end of the day is not making the money they want. Now, there are that less than 1% are, and they're making a lot of money. There is plenty of money in the music business. But the artists, from a democratic point of view, not all of them are getting the money. Do you ever feel emotional like a stormy day? And, you know, when you see, like, GarageBand and Logic and, and you know, the, the iPad and the laptop, like, it is easy now to be able to, quote-unquote, easy to, like, so many people can record a record. And so many people can do it at home. And, yeah. and so in, in that regard, it's, it's truly revolutionary and wonderful. Technology is actually also, the, the, other, the silver lining is technology and the digital age has allowed artists to be very self-empowered. Yes. And you don't have to wait for a big studio to record that. They don't need the record company to go do whatever they want. I, I've made a also a career of not being signed to a label where I can just run my own label, run my own studio, do my own thing. Totally, totally right. Even to the point where I'm in charge of my music monetization, right, to a certain degree. So it's been great for that. We can... We don't, we can make an album now for way less money yeah. than how much it cost in the past. Yeah, and it's, I mean, so in, in that way it, it should be celebrated, but then um, it's weird. Like, I feel like if anybody can do it and there's n nobody out there that's sort of a tastemaker or... Yeah, look, there's still DJs, of course, but I think there was something about like the label where it sort of 
showed these are people that are worth paying attention to or like it's it's like this this yeah. strange kingdom to to want to be a part of um i'm i'm not even sure what i'm trying to articulate it just feels like the system is so broken but it's not just the record quote unquote industry it does feel like people's um understanding of of craft like like here's i guess here's a point because the information is moving so fast and because people can't sit through a record anymore like nine songs people are just like putting out singles because people's attention spans are so fucked up i i think there's this strange combination of of like yeah, you know, a lot of people can make music, but does anybody, like, what does it take to get people to pay? And what does it take to get people to even care? What does it take to get people to sit still for like a half an hour to listen to a record? I, I just, I really think, and you have kids now, and, and I know one of them is, is an artist, but I, I just, I can't, like, I can't even navigate this. Like, what's the point of creating in a world where it feels like, does anybody even care, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a good yeah. I mean, it's a it's a great rhetorical question of why am I doing this? Hmm. Why do I bother? Right? Yeah. And, and I've asked myself that question more recently, more of late, because I have to now really kind of think about how I manage my time. Yeah. Right. And like, is it worth it? And and that's also because I've gotten older, and I you know I when I was twenty four. I was happy to get in a van and go across the country just to play. I didn't care how many people were in the audience. I could have some some clubs and bars and cafes had five people and other times I did a festival of 500 or 1,000, right? And each time I would just deliver my best, like I would just constantly do it for the sake of performance and creating. Um, but you're right, there is this... Um, uh, it's a sea of music out there. How do we discern what to listen to, what's important? You know, it's it's almost like uh, there's just like too much and therefore does anyone really care about Jilly or Eddie? Like what, you know, who cares? Like, and so I guess it does go back to, well, one, there's we still need curators. Like I still think it's important. Like, you know, a radio show will have a curator that decides what songs are getting played. Right. Or Spotify, we have playlists. Or um, record companies still, you know, are part of that. And, and, and when there's no filter, it must be very hard for people to make decisions because people can't really make decisions. Like we still watch television in a way where people are being told what to watch. Even in, like, video streaming platforms that the, the content is still created it's not like you, any customer can decide whatever they want to watch except in uh, youtube or um i was going to say the app tiktok right self uh user created content and um but it's just so much to watch like why would i even care and that means to me that i have to go back to the center and go why am i doing it? why why am i doing my music and it's not just to hope that every other human being on the planet will love my music. Honestly, when I really think about it, I do my music for me. And that's all I can really do. Well, but and I think that's my point that I'm I'm trying to remind myself because I think 
TikTok and Instagram do have this way of um, polluting the innocence and joy of of just creation. And, and it's like I had so much joy. It was so therapeutic to be stuck at home. And this is early 2020. You know, I, I'm not working. Uh, I'm lost my job, and I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm making a little money from uh, unemployment. Uh, I, I was clearly uh, inspired by the bizarre look of the world. I mean, you had like the fires going on in California. You have the yeah. the uh, protests, which literally turned to riots about a half a mile from where I live. Uh, I, I at the point at that point we didn't know if we were all like literally going to be dying if five ten percent of our society was just going to be gone. So I made this record, and it, it was clearly about what was going on, but it was truly therapy, and it was just I, I was tapped into some higher power. I, I can't explain it because the last record I made when I was done, I I said to myself, I don't know what I'm going to do this again, and then that happened. So. But then when you're done, it's like, you know, I've got a PR company and, 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 I'm, and everywhere I go, whether it's YouTube or Instagram, there's that like number of how many views, how many likes. And I really think that number is like flashing in front of my fucking face. <laughs> like, like, like I think 20,000 is better than 10,000 is better than 5,000. And I do think it's sort of warped. That, that innocence and that joy, because then it's all about numbers and, and we're just sort of like wired to think more is better. And it's, it's really, uh, it, I have to, you know, take a step back because I have to remind myself, no, this, it, that can't matter. The therapy matters. The joy matters. You know, it's, 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 it's a struggle, though. It is. It is a struggle, isn't it? It's like a dichotomy of ourselves is like... Again, it keeps going back to why am I doing this? And I, you're right. Like when um, I remember distinctly uh, in like 20, 2010 or something, I was uh, I put out a, um, this extraordinary life, and then my next album, The Stillness, and I was like, I was in this mode of, and I'd had ten amazing years of touring and self-made success with my own record label, Warrior Gold Music, which means I was living off my music, right? I was living off my music, touring, selling merch, selling CDs, getting great gigs. But I was also getting, like, in the spotlight, so a lot of press, awesome, awesome, awesome. Uh, I was building fans. I was, like, one of the first to be on Facebook when they came mm. in 20, 2005 to build community and fans and cool but I, was, I remember it distinctly at the time where I had to make a decision, do I want to be signed to a record label? And I remember speaking to a label at the time and we were kind of going back and forth and, you know, I had this enormous catalogue of what I thought was amazing music, amazingly produced music, like, you know, like I'm talented, like I love myself. And I remember them saying to me, yeah, but what are your social numbers? And I was like, <laughs> my talent is reduced to how many fans I have. Yeah. Whether they decide, because they, and then I realized it was a, the business of them was that they just want to know that if they bring on an artist, that they were a slam dunk to sell to as many people as possible so they could make money, right? And so basically I had to s deliver on a silver platter success 
for them to sign me. And I was like, this is too hard. Uh, I, I, I don't, to your first point, like I don't have time to be a consummate artist as well as a consummate <laughs> business person. Like that's why I came to you guys, guys, you yeah, know, like, yeah. um, and yet, you, you know, and so, so I, I came to a realization that maybe I'm not going to be famous like Mariah Carey signed a label, but I am famous in my own living room. And I'm okay. So I had to set the barometers of success for myself. What do, what do I believe is success? Is it that I have 50,000 fans on the blah, blah, blah? Is it that I'm making a million dollars? Is it? Is it that I haven't got a Grammy because that's part of that music business system? Is that what makes me define success? Or is it something else? Is it me pursuing excellence hmm. as an that to me is a great, and what kind of excellence is that as a barometer of success? Is it me being able to just pay my rent and be okay? You know, these are the things that I had to ask myself. And and like you, back then I wrote a book called Just Get Out There, which is still on Amazon and I keep updating it, which was my book about being an artist entrepreneur yourself and defining success on your own terms and mm. creating a business the way as you as an artist wants to create it, not by what some, they, them, other say you should do. And I've lived that model ever since and I'm very proud of that. I'm not here to, to do it because some in a way that someone else wants me to do it. I can only do it to satisfy myself and I hope that people love what I do. And if they don't, well, then I'm sorry. You can go listen to someone else. I, I can't help you. Yeah. Well, you bring up a really good point, and I, I I think about that word, and I talk about it on my show, success, and I think it's it's really, um, it's a personal relationship. Uh, I think we all have sort of our own uh, um, example of what it is in our heads, and we have to figure that out because it's true. If you, um, it, it's weird. I remember getting like twenty five thousand views on a video of mine like a year ago. And it was the most views I've ever gotten on a video. But then, you know, if, if you turn on YouTube or something, you'll see Lady Gaga has like 25 million views. So yeah, it, but she has a huge machine behind her. Course, she has yeah. hundreds and but hundreds of people working for her. I guess though my, you know, <laughs> my point though is, is that I think it takes a lot of confidence and it's strange. Like artists feel, like we feel we're sensitive and I do think this world that we live in, you have to get by, like psychologically, you have to like put up a wall, I feel, at least I feel like I do. I need to so almost like retrain my body and my mind to not feel and not care. And it's almost like social media and the world we live in is, it almost feels like it's creating more robots in this strange way. Like you, mm -hmm. like you can't feel. You know, you can't. Your your feelings can't be hurt, or you can't worry about like that and this. And it's like, but we as human beings in instinctively feel. We get angry. We get our feelings hurt. You know, we get insecure. We get jealous. Like these are all like. But then you know the the world of of tech and algorithms and social media be like, don't feel, don't think, just make, just go. It's like I feel like the world wants people to spend time on television all day and stare at their phones all day. And it's like 
No, I, I, I just, I don't like the way I feel when I'm in that, that world of, of like social media and tech and, and it's unhealthy for me. I think that it takes a certain person, not every artist is, like some artists like live and breathe all of that and then other artists don't and either way is good. I think one of the things that you brought up is um, not taking things personally. I think you said something about when you see Gaga getting something and you're getting something and you have to, you kind of do have to have a thick skin. Yeah. And it is hard because we are sensitive beings. Creative people are very sensitive. Um, but but in a way, you know, if we put ourselves out there, like if you don't put yourself out there to hold it in ball of wax, if you're just in your living room playing music, stay in your living room playing music. <laughs> but if you decide to step outside of your living room into the big wide world and you want to put yourself out there, I mean, as human beings, we all have to be prepared for feedback, right? right? Whatever we do whether yes. we're working for a job or whatever, you know, whether kids go to school, they're always getting feedback you know, where they get their grades, good or not, you know, whatever thing. So, you know, trying not to take it personally uh, is hard. I mean, that's why I kind of call my company Warrior Girl Music because in a way you have to be a warrior in mm-hmm. this. Like it's not, you're in the trenches, like out there, you know, standing up for yourself. <laughs> yeah. But again, it goes back to the definition of success. Like if 25,000, which is great, by the way, views feel successful to you, then God damn it, it is successful. Yeah. That's a fantastic accomplishment, right? Just because someone else who has um, millions of dollars and a mighty machine all doing it for her gets more should not take away your talent of you getting 25,000 views. You have 25,000 people that watched your amazing work. Yeah. And that's the hard part. As to should we all be savvy in technology and social? No, but, you know, we either choose to do it ourselves or we choose to pay for someone who is really good at what they do to do that, whether we have to pay them or someone else pays them. And that's how the world works. It's a marketplace. Everyone has got a talent on something. Like some of us as musicians are good at teaching and uh, running a PR agency. I coach other artists as well. Like I love that too, but I'm a musician and an artist at heart. Um, We all know, we all find ways to provide service. Um, It's just finding that balance. You know, as a coach, because I've read that about you and I, and I remember that about you, you know, is there a piece of advice or suggestion or, or are you asking each artist or person that you work with, you know, what are your goals or, I mean, what advice do you give or, or does, it, does it shift from person to person? Do you ask them first off, you know, what do they want? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. Um, so I have a certain blueprint of how I work with artists and while every artist is unique and different and I mostly work with musicians but I also work with actors hmm. um, and I've worked with um, some dancers um, but 
singer songwriters, songwriters, a lot of a lot of songwriters. As you know, I run Songs Alive, which is this nonprofit songwriters organization. Bunch of songwriters in my life. The common thread, I will say, is for the for there's two things. One is the common thread is how do I do it all? Uh, you know, just to the topics we were just talking about. I, I want, I'm an artist but I also need to get my music out there or my art out there and how do I do that and how do I find the time to do that and how do I manage that and and then um, another part of it is goal setting and keeping accountable of that because mm. when we are having to be self-led, like we, we're not working for someone, we're working for ourselves, how do we keep on track on the right things, on direction and keep accountable to that. So I, I set goals with all my clients, my artist clients, when I first work with them. What would you like to achieve? We get really clear with what you want, a dream. And I love artists to dream big. Like if you want that Grammy or if you want to tour the world or if you want to make that money or whatever, put it down on paper, write it down. We work on a, a clear path. Some of them need help on how to do it. So, of course, Having done this a lot for myself and for others, I have a lot of resources, I've written books about it. Um, and then they love to keep accountable of that. So every month I meet with them and they go, well, I've achieved this and I've achieved this and I've achieved this and everything they've achieved is a win. It's success. So you see your success every time. You see it along the way. It's not like when you get that final big thing. It's, it's, it's incremental achievement and that also innately gives them a sense of purpose okay and they don't feel alone right and so um and whether you work with someone like me as a coach or you're doing it yourself I think that's really important that we have a clear vision of what we're wanting to accomplish and have goals and that we set them off you know rockets of desire and we write affirmations and we, we make sure we have a plan. And while that seems to be like counterintuitive to the divine inspiration of being creative, what it's saying is putting it in practice. It's saying all your divine talent, we're now putting it into a plan that you're mm. going to achieve and you're going to achieve it. And I can tell you every single artist that I've coached has achieved great things and they did it. I'm just there as their coach. They did it. I'm thinking. I'm, I'm thinking about something. I think is really important for me to say. I, I, I'm just really um, resonating with everything you're saying. But I, I think at looking back on the last couple of years when I wrote a book and and made the record that it is this balance of there is a divine being now. I'm I'm aware of that now. I fully lived it when I wrote the book and made the album. But I think the discipline. I'm very disciplined. And, you know, I try to write every day or, or like watch a master class. I'm always like an hour, like trying to feed my brain with something that could potentially inspire me or actually just be involved in the act of creation. But I think like the discipline helps because then when you do feel the energy, the, the spiritual energy, yeah. it's like you know what to do then. Because those moments when I, I, I mean, I can tell when I'm writing something down and I'm just sort of going through the motions, but then I'm also writing something down or singing something because I'm really feeling it. And there's just this in, instinct, this intrinsic feeling that I can't even explain. 
But I do think those 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 habits of being disciplined and writing and writing down goals sort of is important because then when those amazing rare spiritual moments happen where the divine spirit is is channeling some energy through you, you know what to do. Well, that's right. I mean, gosh, that's so spot on. I mean, you have to channel your divine talent and energy. Like, and to me, and everyone's different, right? But for me, I need a task list. Hmm, yeah. <laughs> like, it could be as arbitrary as this Saturday is my song making day, right? So maybe that's, I, I, I prioritize that. I have to, with the many ventures that I have, being a mother as well, running my business and being an artist, I have to prioritize my artistry, my creative time. And it's a fight. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> With my schedule, right? So there's that. But also if I have so many ideas, uh, you know, I'm on, that's why I call myself an artist entrepreneur because I have, I have ideas coming out of the wazoo. Like I could... There's so many things I want to do, and they and I, I have to. The, the tap is turned on, so I have to prioritize them. I have to put them in a way that I can organize them, because I want to do them all. Well, maybe I can't do them all. Well, I I believe you can do everything, but not at the same time. Yeah. So it is a bit about like, well, what's most important, and then what's most important to move the needle? Like, if I am making a living out of my creativity, and I'm saying I meaning any one of us, then you kind of do have to prioritize and have goals around how you're going to monetize your art if that's what you want, if, that's, if you're not a hobbyist as a way, in, in so far as to say that. Yeah. Yeah. I- so maybe your album, like putting your film on... YouTube or putting your book on a place where people can buy it is just as important in a way as actually you writing it. Because if you write it and nobody knows about it, then what, you know, then you have to ask yourself, well, why did I write it? Yeah. And it's it, a couple other things that I'm thinking about just as you're speaking. I think also um, the world we live in and the collapse of many industries is forcing artists to tap into a part of their brain, like the marketing side or the PR side, that I think is not a natural place to be. Yeah. And yeah. and and here's the thing: I also think about you know this. I know this could sound judgmental. I don't think music is is maybe I'll just say it's different now, but it, it just feels like those moments when I listen to a record from song one to song 10, I, I had a lot of those moments 10, 15, 20 years ago. I feel like I don't have those moments much anymore. It's, it's really hard for me to find a collection of 10 songs mm-hmm. on a record that sustain and last, like OK Computer, Parachute, Sea Change, uh, Joshua Tree. I, I just, those days seem to be happening less and less. And I, I miss Radiohead's albums as well. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I don't, and even, I don't like, I don't like their recent albums um, nearly as much. But I guess my point is, is that the world is, is asking creators to 
do other tasks besides mm-hmm. create. And I think that is an, a, a major example, reason why quality can't sustain because there's this strange impression in the world where it feels like it's easy to make a song. It's easy to make an okay computer. And again, I think we are sort of polluted by, oh, you know, I can make it on GarageBand. I can make it on Logic. So it, it seems easy, but no, it's not. It's, it's, if, if you're looking at TikTok, you know, five hours a day, if, if the world wants you to post on Instagram because you just finished a song, there's only so much time in a day. Um, to your point, when you were telling your story, I really believe, if I have any advice to give, is that you have to be so disciplined. And and what's so toxic about social media is that I think it does take your focus away from you know the craft and getting better. And and I think that you know there is a dilution of uh, focus for sure. Um, and I think that's a, the nature of the modern world too. I mean, look at us, look at our kids growing up. Uh, they're all living on social, on, on their phones and technology is like they're, they're living in technology whereas and it, things are faster and we get distracted and we're doing multiple things at once. And I think that is the nature of this new generation and, te- and, and our modern world. Yeah. Um, and... Would would I like to submerge in a perfect world? Would I like to submerge into the studio for a month at a time and just record music, and then hop on a stage and just perform and not have to worry about the business side of things? I'd say yes. I'd say if I could just be that kid in mud and just like enjoy that, I would. But the reality is. We're not. Um, we, we have to think about our responsibilities as a grown-up, too. I know it sounds crazy, but it's like we, we also have to. We have to pay the bills. Yeah. We have to feed our children. We have, you know, and some of us like a little luxury. You know, we <laughs> might want to go on a trip now and then. You know, sure. Like, and so, and. And so I guess, do we prefer the model of the record company being the patron and taking care of the artist? Perhaps I think that the model of that was and is unfair in a way that who's really making the money? Like the artists that have signed these big record company deals sometimes sign their entire catalogue away that they'll never own it again. Like, do we want that? Do, or do we want more an artist-led business? I'm not to say, I'm not here to say or claim that it's bad to have a record deal with a major label. I Believe me, if a major label's listening, I mean, I understand the model. I understand the business. And people have to make money and you need, and there's money to be made because people, consumers need to purchase music and there's, there's, there's a business there. But would I like to think that, it should be fairer for artists, absolutely, and songwriters. And so if we if we say, record company, I want you to do everything for me and I can just go and play music, great, but don't rip me off. Like, let's be fair. And I think that's where we need to find the balance. And so therefore, artists shouldn't be naive. Hmm. 
right? We it is it, it is business. I don't care, I don't care, I don't care. You're never there, but I'm wanting your touch. I'm feeling your fire. I'm hostage to memories. I'm nothing to you. So release me. I think you and I have some similarities also. And let me tell a quick, quick story. I was pretty depressed after my last record six, seven years ago because I, I did feel the shift in attention spans. And I did feel like that's when sort of Instagram and social media really started to explode. And I work with this great producer and I put out a record that I was really proud of. And I was doing more in the studio, and I, it was just, I was really feeling good about what we made. And it pretty much, uh, the reaction was a lot of crickets. I mean, it was a pretty quiet response. And, you know, I, I posted and, and sent out emails and that whole world. And we did some shows in L.A., and, but generally, it, I felt like, you know, what's, what's the point? You know, it just, it, I felt really sad about... Um, creating in a world where it felt like I had to take off my clothes or do something really strange and bizarre that wasn't me to sort of get any sort of response. And as, I, as I'm getting older, it just felt like, gosh, what's the point? But then it, it's strange. I then got asked to curate music at a restaurant, like within about a month of that record. So I became, I started curating music at restaurants and then I started DJing at, at clubs in LA and I was making more money DJing in LA than I ever had doing gigs in Los Angeles. And then I started teaching yoga and then I started writing a book. Um, and I, I guess I, I think I almost put too much reliance on music. Like it almost felt like, I feel like somebody told me a long, a long time ago, it's like, music or bust or or like only only do music or I don't know even know what the analogy was but then I started to feel like maybe I'm putting too much pressure on myself or there's other ways to express myself you know mm -hmm. via you know a book podcast teaching yoga DJing was was amazing I I, I like to be in bed by like 11 o'clock but this was forced me to be out till two in the morning but I I was like in control of the energy in the room and it just it, it was this incredible give-and-take symbiotic relationship because I love music and I had to find music that was the right vibe and it was very spontaneous. And, yeah. and so I guess it feels like you also, I don't know, did, did you have an awareness about like you're only a musician or you should do other things? Because it feels like you also sort of... Oh, I can see. We are exactly the same. I... I lived and breathed my music. Now, am I talented in other things? Sure. And I used to pay, you know, do temp jobs and this jobs here and there just to, you know, get by. But I, it wasn't my passion. Like music, singer-songwriter, having a band, touring, performing live on stage. And I did musicals as a kid, but I really, and I could act too, but I really, this is what I, I, I threw myself in. Eddie, I 
came to LA in 96 and I moved here at the end of 97 with two suitcases from Australia saying I'm coming all the way from my homeland and I'm going to, that's all I'm going to do, right? So that's how passionate and how much I threw myself into realizing that I came into a time where you had to kind of showcase your stuff on the Sunset Strip to get a record deal and then only a few people got the record deal and you had to get a record deal to get ahead. And so I was right. I was, I love the fact that the internet came, even Napster itself, even though it shook us all up. It helped me create a, a career. Hmm. The internet the technology was my friend. I, I didn't have to go the major label route. I could just do it myself. And I had, a, had an amazing career at that. And I would say the same thing, you know, and I know we're talking about LA, but I think this is inherent in, in any big city. Like there was a turn where apart from the digital music changing our uh, revenue streams, also people really stopped going to the clubs like mm. they used to. Like I was getting less and less people coming out to a show. And, of course, I mean, undoubtedly in the last three years it's been completely, you know, the pandemic has really changed our whole thing, right? Sure. So very difficult. And so you, you question what, you question it. You go, well, why, why am I doing it? I just put out an album last year called Beautiful Mess. It took me 10 years to put together, even though I'd had singles and I'd done a few things in between and small projects, but called it Beautiful Mess because it really was, it's, it's my soul-searching album. It's a double album. And I did it for no one. I did mm. it for me. I finally said, I'm not going to go off and just go make this my capstone project and hustle again. The music business has changed. I... I decided I just need to do it because it needs to be done. And, but inside I had, and my husband Jeff and I have had these conversations, like I question like how long am I going to do this for? Like this is my number one passion. And sometimes as I think listeners might feel like you wonder like, does anyone care? So why am I doing it, right? And that then you have to keep. And then the next day I wake up going because I because it has to be done because I'm an artist because I'm talented because it just feels good, you know. I can't do it because of some society reasons anymore. Yeah, but it feels like also you because I saw you start a podcast years ago and you're coaching and. And yeah. it feels like you, it, it, I think it's healthy to not just rely on one outlet to express. Absolutely. Your- you should, diver- I've always coached that. It's important to diversify your talents just, just to survive. Yeah. Right. It's important. And, and also because, you know, that old saying, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Right. Sure. What if the basket's not there anymore? Like it can't it makes sense, right? So, and I think, like you have, you start to see, well, I am creative in other ways. Like, I, in fact, just talking to you now, I remember I when I, I first came to America to New York, I wanted to be on Broadway. Hmm. So I obviously made a decision along the way that the music business was the place. It doesn't mean that I have to be a martyr. <laughs> 
Right? Yeah. 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 Well, I was just, before I let you go, I was just thinking when you told the story about you were doing gigs in L.A. and noticed just that, you know, less and less people were, were showing up to shows. And I, I felt the same thing. But I remember listening to a podcast. I think it was Cory Booker I was listening to. He's a politician, I think, based in New Jersey. And he was saying, you know, Netflix's biggest challenge or, or their biggest hurdle is sleep. You know, they, they, are, they don't want people to go to sleep because they want people to just keep watching Netflix 24 hours a day. And, you know, the biggest competitor now to, you know, entertainment venues and concerts is just getting people out of the house and getting people, you know, unglued from their phone because they, they are just literally transfixed by what's going on on that freaking thing. So it's, it's easy to take it personally, but I, I do believe everybody is thinking about when i say everybody you know netflix and the los angeles rams and the lakers i mean i think they're all thinking about like what does it take to get people to care and come out to a show i think it's a strange uh, challenge that a lot of people are facing very much so and more so of course now with the pandemic and that and you know i look i think people will be hungry for community again yeah um and people are trying to find community in different ways. And I did want to just like, like also end on a positive. So, you know, this virtual world we've been living in a pandemic has also brought some amazing technology transformations for artists. Again, like virtual streaming concerts, mm. people have been able to do that from home. And let me just say that one of my friends, he's a producer and musician, um, Matt Thorne, he just put out a original animated NFT movie with custom music that he created um, that's on sale on Rarible with Ethereum. Hmm. And that's a, it's not quite crypto, it's Ether, this new currency in, in place. Like there is this whole NFT area where you can sell art, music, films, books and make them rareable and they're getting hundreds of dollars, thousands of dollars and sometimes hundreds and thousands of dollars. So it's just a new form of transacting creative things and anything. Um, But, you know, that's where I think we need to be innovative and be ready as a creative being for the next way of delivering our art because there is a way to be successful and monetize your art, but we just have to be very creative and think outside the box. Yeah. Jilly, this was this was great. I, I really appreciate you chatting and taking the time. I, I had a sense that uh, I would resonate and connect with what, what you talk about and... Uh, yeah, this will go live in probably like a week or two, but I'll let you know. But this is great. It was great to reconnect and see you. I was reminded of, of, of how much I enjoyed your company and talking. Mm-hmm. Likewise, it's been so long and let's stay closer. Let's stay in touch. Yeah, you don't live very far. So uh, <laughs> I'm in like Miracle Mile area. So yeah, uh, cool. Yeah. I really appreciate this. Yeah, me too. It was fun. Yeah. I love talking about this. Thanks a lot for having me. Of course. Have a great rest of your day. 
Take care. All right, bye. Thanks so much, Jilly, for taking the time to talk to me. I really think these are important conversations to have right now. It's just our relationship to art and how we value art and artistry. And do we take it all for granted? Or then again, as I'm watching the Super Bowl yesterday, I mean, do we lionize artists? Do they Are they worthy of the attention that we give them? It's really an interesting phenomenon, just, just the value that music and art brings to our life and the way that we look up to artists. It's, it's obviously very complicated and nuanced and personal, but I think it's an important conversation to have, especially as we often don't even think about the amount of art that we consume and, and how we place a value on it. How do you value art? What, what, is it, what is art's worth in your life? Something to think about. Um, so, Jilly, again, thanks so much for taking the time. You can find her on Instagram at Jilly Moon. Website's JillyMoon.com. And I'm going to play, I'm going to end today's show with the song from her latest record that came out about a year, year ago, Beautiful Mess. This one is called Falling. It's off of Beautiful Mess, Volume 1. You know where to find me, Instagram at Eddie Cohn or Twitter, Eddie Cohn. I am EddieCone.com is the website. Message me if you want information on my new book, if you want to pre-order it now. And that is it. As always, thank you so much for listening, supporting, subscribing. Oh yeah, please share the show with your friends. Maybe write a review on iTunes. That is incredibly helpful. Appreciate your support, everybody. I'll see you very soon. Again, thanks for listening, supporting, subscribing, being a part of the Downward Facing Spiritual Spiral podcast. I thought I was over the idea of love I kind of discovered I like my own company
you stop on the mallin'. Girl, you got him dribbling the way that you ballin'. Throw it down between the legs. Show it down for the assist. Stick with me and you will see the way. Path is lit, candles in the bedroom, making all the sound there is. Yeah, with all the passion, the silence is just definite. I'ma make time stop, don't want it to ever end. Going hard because we're veterans. If you fallin' for me, there's no reason to pretend. Better than the other men. You a diamond in the rough, you the rarest of the gems. You been hitting meaning more than I can comprehend. In the end of the prayer, I'ma call you amen. Uh. Falling. 